who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to... I must break this podcast, the fan podcast that looks at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're delivering a heavy dose of action and discussing 2013's The Package. In this man's man action flick, two of the stars from The Expendables reunite for a tale filled with double crosses, shootouts, explosions, and plenty of fistfights. Steve Austin plays Tommy Wick, an enforcer for a local crime lord who must escort a mysterious package to another fellow crime lord. Dolph Lundgren plays the German, the recipient of said package, who has his own deadly motives. You got something for me? Told Big Doug I'd have it, I'll have it. Don't! You got my money? Maybe. And nothing's ever been accomplished with a mate <laughs> I think he'll pay. If he's smart, he will. If he was smart, he never would have borrowed from me in the first place. Something's come up. I need a package delivered to the German. I know some decades back the two of you worked in the same crew. What's in it? You're being paid not to know. The package is en route. Excellent. I want every lowlife ex-con looking for him. Now go do whatever it takes. The package. He's in the store. We just want the package. Ah! We were misinformed as to his capability. He's still alive. This guy's got some kind of crazy skill. I need that package. I don't think so. You have what I need, Thomas. This wasn't what you expected, was it? You're really starting to piss me off. I've got a feeling that whatever the German has planned for you, it ain't. Killed him with one hit. Yeah, it sucks to be him. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me to chat this one is Richard Hawes, fellow action aficionado and host of the DTV Digest. Richard, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Well, this is, uh, I mean, you and I, we, we've uh, gotten to know each other, I'd say, 
shoot what over the past year and i i've really gotten it i really you know enjoyed uh chatting many of these uh movies with you and it's always really cool to kind of meet someone else who uh you know, it's I, I. What was it I said to you in a text message uh, uh, last week? What it's it's interesting. It's kind of like I feel like we're birds of a feather because mm. we we both have such an appreciation for these uh, small little independent uh, direct-to-video action films that I don't think uh, I don't think really get the uh, the justice and the due that uh, I think many of them deserve. No, absolutely, and that's uh, one of the uh, the sort of the the driving force behind. Uh, some of what we do on the DTV Digest, which is we focus a lot on action because myself and uh, Mike Parkin, who created the show, uh, and he's sort of like he does all the editing and stuff, and I sort of coordinate uh, a lot of the you know what we're going to cover. But the um, you know we're both very passionate about action movies and low budget action movies and stuff. But we also try and uh, look further afield at all sorts of different genres. So you know someone like Dolph Lundgren and you know his cat catalog. You know, he's touched on horror and science fiction. You know, we, we did a film uh, called that was released over in the UK called Alien Hunter, but it was actually originally called Welcome to Willits, right. which you might well have seen. Uh, in that film, in, in the UK, it was marketed as as a co- as a copy of I Come in Peace. Uh, you know, like what we called Dark Angel, what we had as Dark Angel. It looked like that. It was like it, it was. Uh, Dolph Lundgren holding the gun and, uh, uh, you know, f- filling up the cover says alien hunter in the act, in actuality, the film, welcome to Willits. He only appears on a TV screen or in like a dream <laughs> sequence kind of thing. He's got very, very little to do with the actual uh, plot or whatever. We really enjoyed the film, but the misleading nature of the, the marketing, the sort of the bait and switch kind of thing that they do, uh, was, was very interesting to discuss, but, uh, yeah, so we like to cover, uh, all sorts uh, really and and you know we, and uh extending that to things like short films unfortunately dolph doesn't hasn't really done any short films so we haven't really covered anything like that um from him but uh yeah we we do a what they call a, a throwback section so we've got um you know we if a if a new dolph movie came up that we were able to cover we'd cover that in the main section of the show like altitude i think we covered uh, and then you know, we might look further back at, uh, so for example, we did an episode where we covered Silent Trigger and we went into quite a lot of detail discussing, you know, how we felt about that one because that's got a very unique style to it and, and stuff that's very of the, of the, of the period. I don't think you'd make a film like Silent Trigger now. It's quite, it's, it's quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting one. But anyway, that's me rambling on about, about that. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we, we have a, a common, uh, a common friend, a common podcaster, uh, Matt Poirier from yes. the, um, the, the direct to video connoisseur. And, yep. you know, I remember talking with him about this as well. It's really interesting because I feel like anyone who focuses on the world of direct to video cinema inevitably falls down the rabbit hole of direct to video action. And that seemingly becomes their sole focus. I mean, I remember speaking with Matt and he said he stated something along the lines of, you know, when he started his project up first, it was a blog, then it was a podcast. He was just looking at, okay, these are just movies that bypass the cinemas and go direct to video. But I think the, the action genre is such a, uh, I don't want to say it's, predominant you know when it comes to -to direct-to-video titles i don't want to say that action is you know predominantly that market but i mean it's it's a huge 
cut of the pie, I think we can say. And so he more or less got pigeonholed into covering, you know, pretty much nothing but uh, direct to video action films because, like I said, it's it's inevitable and it's almost a no brainer. And looking at your show, I mean, yeah, man, you guys, I've listened to quite a few episodes. You guys do a wonderful job um, giving, uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, giving justice to many of these films that I think uh, many would just kind of, well, back in the day when we had blockbuster videos and rental stores, um, many would just kind of look over these titles and, you know, eh, whatever. But I mean, now that we're in this age of streaming media, you know what I mean? I think it's the same kind of, people kind of give these films the same attention that they did when, you know, we had physical stores where we see them on kind of the Netflix screen or the prime screen eh, and when they just, you know, kind of pass them by. So I appreciate meeting someone else who uh, really, really enjoys digging deep into these films. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's great. I, what I love is that, you know, there's your show, there's um, Matt's show, uh, there's Brett and Ty's comeuppance reviews podcast, there's bullet, bulletproof action, whatever. There's a, there's a wonderful community of, of um, you know, action, fans of action in general but but those who are giving the due to um to the to the director video stuff as well which you know when i was growing up you know we obviously before the internet and stuff you you did there wasn't there wasn't the opportunity for those kind of conversations yeah no exactly well and i was going to ask you about your experience with uh with our man of the hour mr mr dolph lundgren here in a Mm -hmm. second but look i'd be remiss if i did not ask you i think it's it's fair to say because you and i have had uh uh, you know, quite a few conversations on the subject, but I think, is it fair to say that your favorite, uh, action guy, if you will, of the genre is Mr. Steven Seagal. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? It is indeed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as it's, it's one, <laughs> it's one of those things of these days, it's kind of harder to justify being a fan, but, you know, especially in light of allegations and, and stuff about his character and whatnot. But, it, it's it's the weird thing about fandom is it's not rational <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, you know you know you just go, you kind of you can you feel you connect with someone or something and you and you know that as you might you might drift away but you usually come back it's like it's like i don't know it's like a relative or something you know so almost like part of the family you know it might be a bit of there might be a bit of shame there but <laughs> they're still family <laughs> so yeah. yeah i was i i'm I've I've always loved uh, Steven Seagal's stuff from the from the nineties and you know into the two thousands and and you know and then I spend like what twenty years essentially of having my heart broken <laughs> <laughs> every single time a new release came out. But in a in the twisted in a sort of weird twisted way that has made me more fascinated by films and low budget films and you know uh, action in, and you know the way his and him in general and obviously Vern wrote his Sigalogy book which was uh, highlighting some of the key things that you know that I was already looking at as well of you know what makes a Steven Seagal film stand out um, you know he does have these particular interests that are prevalent in lots of his movies so that you know although somebody might dismiss them as being all the same and you know he's always playing an ex-cia guy or whatever <laughs> yes there is that but he's done his like environmental trilogy he, he like works with the same directors and he you know follows up similar themes he's done things like um he's done two or three prison movies for example so you've got like half past dead but then you've got um maximum 
what was it called? Maximum God. Maximum conviction. Maximum right? conviction. Yeah, yeah, with Steve Austin, who we'll be Steve talking Austin. about. There you go. Today. Yeah. yeah. So the <laughs> even just comparing those two films, you know, Half Past Dead wasn't a massive budget film. Uh, you know, it was the last theatrically uh, released vehicle for Seagal. Um, but that wasn't a. You didn't have a huge budget. But then by the time you get to maximum conviction you know we're in a we're in a completely different environment and yeah. you know just sort of studying the filmmaking of of those two and the processes and you know how much uh one of the things is uh, how much Seagal is not on screen you know and how they sort of accommodate that um is uh you know news of doubles and stuff and not, the bad stuff you know every single one of the you know not every single one but you know most of what Seagal has made is bad movies the the majority of them uh but he keep but he's such a recognizable brand you know that that he that they just keep churning them out you know that then the i don't know if we'll get any more but i you know i certainly uh, would not be surprised if we get i mean he hasn't made a film since 2019 uh, but you know there have been certain cir- situations and circumstances uh, a global pandemic being one of them is uh, but i would expect we'll probably see him in something else but uh, yeah the 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 films themselves as terrible as they are are a fascinating study in, are. you know because how is it possible that they they can be so bad you know in, in yeah. so many different ways but also quite intriguing you know you could take a film like attack force and you know what it what it was a bit like something like agent red for example where it started out as one thing and it ended up something completely different you know but still not you know not a film that is objectively something that should have been released because it was not really complete but uh, you know it's just sort of you you, you can i don't know you can look at them in different ways but uh yeah so as i my fandom has waned and sort of uh you know drifted over the years but uh you know in the final analysis i'm still collecting his movies i'm still trying to get hold of some of the the dvds that i've got you know that are gaps in my collection i still love looking through them and you know looking at the titles and studying them and you know how how they relate to each other in different ways it's uh it's uh, yeah it's a it's a lifelong passion i guess well it, it's it, you know you you said a lot there but i mean regarding mr seagal it's interesting because I, I agree with you. I mean, he has become, he is such a fascinating enigma of a, of a human being. You know what I mean? <laughs> he really is. And I, like you, I mean, I'm trying to remember what it was because I was, I was pretty loyal to watching all of his films. I mean, all of his, his run through the nineties. I mean, uh, I think Vern refers to that as like his golden period or his golden mm-hmm. era or whatever. And you watch those films and yeah, he's always playing the same character, but I mean, he is just so dynamic on screen. And I want to say, because I remember seeing Half Past Dead in theaters, but I want to say it was at about, oh goodness, I want to say it might have been after Belly of the Beast, mm-hmm. which isn't which isn't an awful movie, but it is so, <laughs> it, it pales in comparison to the stuff that he was doing in the 90s. And it was at about that period where I just kind of gave up. You know what I mean? I, I, I quit watching his stuff because he also started to um, saturate the market and he also started mm. to overexpose himself, I think, way too much. Whereas guys like Van Damme and Dolph, you know, while they were in the direct video market, they were putting out one movie a year. Well, Seagal, 
if you remember around that period, he was putting out as many as like four movies a year. And I'm sorry, but you know, when you're going to be putting out four movies a year, okay. That are going to be hitting those shelves, a blockbuster or whatever it may be where he's always playing a, either a, a, an active CIA agent or an ex CIA agent, or just some kind of shadowy spook or whatever, who, <laughs> you know, some shadowy CIA uh, operative, you know, spook or whatever, who everybody knows of, but no one wants to talk about. It seems like those are like his, his, his three big, uh, characters that he plays, it got to be, you know, the same old, same old. And uh, it, it's only been until recently, maybe within the past year, where I've been going back through and kind of picking up some of these titles and watching them again. I think, you know, you and I were talking, I watched uh, Today You Die, I picked up uh, The Keeper, and mm-hmm. then what was the other one that I messaged you? Uh, uh, Born to Raise Hell, I think it was what it was. And I watch all those, and it's like, yeah, I haven't missed much. He's he's doing the same thing in every one of these movies. Yeah, but then it's the it's the context of where where they've come out from as well. So like Born to Raise Hell was made around the same time as he was doing his Steven Seagal Lawman series. So there's a all the stuff that he was where his attention was in terms of procedurals and you know uh, leading a leading a unit and and doing raids and stuff. He he was doing that on the reality show, but he also put it in the script for Born to Raise Hell. Uh, so that film has quite a different feel to some of the other ones that he's done. But yeah. it was also a film that ended up being made in Romania, so it's kind of got this weird feel to it. It's like he should be in he should be in Arizona or something, but, yeah. he, but he's in Romania, and uh, uh, so and yeah, and then obviously he started uh, being put into different you know he started playing villains and stuff which was something he hadn't done until uh machete when uh obviously he didn't want to be part of the expendables because he's you know a lot of bad blood in uh, amongst a lot of those guys uh, involved in the expendables films not least uh avi lerner and whatnot but the uh but he played the villain in with robert rodriguez and or or uh, i can't remember who the guy was directed at machete actually but the um he played the villain there and he clearly must have liked it because then he started doing it in force of execution and uh, what was it? Uh, the perfect weapon, Asian yeah. connection. Oh, oh, he, uh, oh, and he what's the other one. Uh, China salesman. He's not really a villain. He's more of a supporting character, but you know what I mean? He started playing these different kinds of characters, but still not really, not acting in the same way as like Jean-Claude Van Damme might do a villain, you know, kind of thing. He's still sort of playing to, to that. Whereas, or or Dolph Lundgren, for example, you know, Dolph Lundgren plays brilliant villains and brilliant heroes. So, so he, he puts in the, he puts in the work on, on both sides, whereas Seagal's never quite managed to, um, Oh, beyond the law was another one where Seagal was the villain as well. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, he's had a he's had an interesting career, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, yeah, I, I I think you know, out for justice and stuff like that is for me, you know, the the real cream of the crop. But I but I do enjoy stuff like uh, attrition, for example, which is probably his last hurrah. I think of making actually high a decent quality movie. I think I don't know if you have you had a chance to see attrition. I did see attrition. I did see yeah. attrition, and um. You know what, what's interesting about attrition, and 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 don't worry, we will be getting to the package here in a minute. <laughs> but but what's interesting about attrition is, I noticed I noticed two things about the film actually. Um, 
first of all, it's, it, I don't think it's Seagal's best movie or anything like that, but I noticed two things about it. Um, the first thing was it looked like a real movie once again. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It looked, I'm, I'm sure it was filmed digital and I've said before on the podcast, but I'm not a huge fan of digital filmmaking. It just, it, it doesn't look polished. It doesn't look like a real movie at times. And I get, look, I get that it's, it's fast. I get that it's cheap. I get that it's, you know, it's efficient. It's not going away. So, you know what I mean? So I, I understand that, but looking at attrition, obviously it was filmed digitally, but it had a, um, it had a richer polish to it in the end. Mm where it didn't to me appear to be something that was, you know, quickly spit out over the course of a week and everything. The other thing I noticed about it was, you know, Seagal was, I don't know if I'd say that he was a hundred percent invested in it, but he was, he was at least playing a character that suited his um, eccentricities, I will say. And having said that though, (laughs) I will also say having said that, I think it is probably, Outside of On Deadly Ground, it's probably the ultimate Seagal vanity piece because in that one, he's just playing this, you know, spiritual uh, sensei, master, whatever. And I mean, he even says to a character when a character comes to him seeking guidance, he says, you know, tear a piece of, go to the top of a mountain and tear a piece of paper up and throw it down the mountain and then go down the mountain and find every piece of paper. And when you can find, each piece of paper and put it back together, you will know your destiny. <laughs> and it's like, what? What the hell is he talking about? Yeah, I think, I, yeah, exactly. And it, it was, <laughs> it was great because he, uh, I, I think he was perhaps, I was, I think he was really invested in this one, especially when you compare it to some of the other movies like Contract to Kill. I mean, when Contract to oh, Kill yeah. came out, I gave it a high rating just because he was in it, you know, just because he was consistently present throughout the movie which surprised and then you you, you watch the, you know the standard of the cinematography and everything is not good at all and then you know attrition comes through a couple of years later they've got a, a good director on board you know it's a, it's a stylishly made film some really some really artfully composed stuff in there got some of the real deal action guys to come in and do some do some the action uh, and the second unit so the the quality of the the action was much better, but at the same time, it's also very, very Seagal. So like you say, he's doing these, he's playing this wise character. You know, he gets to sort of give out advice, uh, beat everyone up, um, and even uh, even perform uh, some of his uh, music at the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, let's look at uh, let's look at the, uh, the the movie that we're here to to talk about today. Okay. Indeed. So the package. All right. Um, So what's interesting about this one is, you know, with with this particular show, I've been obviously going in chronological order of uh, of Lundgren's entire uh, CV, his entire filmography. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is post Expendables. This is where Dolph really became a workhorse. Okay, not saying he he wasn't, you know, hardworking before this. But if you look at his output from Expendables onward, I mean, I don't want to say he's become a Seagal in a sense, but I mean, he's had, I mean, if you look at his, his output from 2011 to 2014, he had like 15 different movies that he starred in, in various capacities. Uh, the package being, being one of them. And so going in, in chronological order, I've, I don't want to say I've ditched that idea out the window, but what's interesting is all of these films, they're all similar in a lot of ways to where, you know, I mean, 
you can you can say that I'm seeing growth in his career, but I think at this point from Expendables onward, what really started attracting Dolph to various projects was characters. Every one of these films that he is playing, he is playing, or they, excuse me, that he is starring in, he is mm-hmm. playing a different character. And so in the package, he went back to playing a um, a villain again. Um, I will say there's a couple things about this one before we really dive into it. Um, there's a few things about this film that uh, I think not only need to be discussed, but really pointed out. Okay. For one, I said it already, but Dolph's output post-Expendables was extremely prolific. This particular film, though, that we're talking about, The Package, I would say, I mean, let me back up a bit, but I would say in the 10 years from The Expendables, with a few a few, you know, ones that stand out, Creed 2, obviously, Skin Trade, I think, is amazing, but there's not a heck of a lot within that period that I would stand out and say, yes, this belongs in Dolph's this particular film belongs in Dolph's top 20 with the exception of the package. I will say right now, I think the package is probably one of his best DTV efforts in the wake of expendables. And I don't know how much or how many of uh, Dolph's films you've seen of the uh, direct to video genre, but I don't know. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah. I'd also put a uh, dead trigger in there is cause that, that really surprised me. I, that, that was, that was a lot better than I was anticipating with, I thought uh, Lundgren wasn't going to be in that one very much, but he's, uh, he gives a really, he's, he's in it consistently uh, and he gives a really good performance in it. So that, that was a, a good, that was a really good movie. Uh, but yeah, stuff like, I mean, I haven't seen a huge, but, but like, you know, like alien hunter, like I was saying before, how he, he's not really in that much uh, female fight club, much more of a supporting character. Yeah. Um, but I haven't uh, altitude. Obviously he's not, not in a, in much at all and black water um but then you know stuff like there's a quite a few that i haven't seen yet so i can't you know evaluate them in terms of uh you know like uh, maximum security uh don't kill out i've heard is amazing i haven't seen that yet riot uh what else was there the the good the bad and the dead skin trade unfortunately i haven't had a chance to see yet that's probably the high i mean that's the one with the awesome you know it's him and tony jar and michael yeah. J. white and everything i mean that's an amazing that's an amazing cast and uh if you know it's almost like an expendable a mini expendables movie that in terms of its casting uh is is uh i guess what what makes that one stand out as well so yeah the i mean kindergarten cop too i haven't seen i mean he, he has churned out so many uh it's uh it is quite extraordinary i mean uh the package was 2013. That was one of five films <laughs> in that year, uh, including another villain turn in uh, Legendary. I'm not sure if I haven't I haven't seen the others to be honest. So I don't know if he played a villain in Battle of the Dam or Hard Rush or Blood of Redemption. Uh, so I, I, I'm not sure on on those. But uh, the the package is coming off the back of it, you know the dub, the one two of Expendables two and Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning which obviously had a, a smaller part in, but, you know, two, two big movies there, both, both obviously with Scott Adkins as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the expendables, you're right. Is it was a, a massive, uh, turning point in his, uh, was his, his viability, I guess, you know, it gave his career like a shot in the arm. You know, he was, he was on, on the big screen again, he was being noticed and, you know, he became much more marketable than he had been, you know, during the uh, during the 
2000s when he was uh, sort of uh, pushing his own career forward with the, with you know directing his own work and stuff. Well, there's two there's two uh, you know workers I guess we could say behind the scenes of this one that I think are responsible. I mean, obviously the the Dolph and the Steve Austin reunion of sorts. I mean that that's mm-hmm. really kind of cool to see that we see. Dolph Lundgren and Steve Austin reunite from the Expendables. I always thought that was kind of a keen idea, especially in the world of direct-to-video action. I mean, obviously, guys like Stallone and Statham, they weren't going to be available for a lower, uh, you know, a lower budget production like this one. But if you go to those guys on the second tier, like Dolph and Steve Austin and Randy Couture, then you can almost make a uh, like an almost sequel of sorts, you know, like an Expendables. Point five, if you will. So I, you know, I really liked that about it. The other two things that uh, we need to look at is, okay, the director of this one and the writer of this one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was directed by Jesse V. Johnson, who I will say right now, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I think Jesse V. Johnson next to Isaac Florentine and Peter Hyams. Okay. I, you know, I'd say these are the three guys in the direct to video action genre today who i think are turning in some of the the best work that we see with with jesse johnson jesse v johnson excuse me you know he comes from the the stunt world so he knows what looks good on camera especially in terms of action okay i think you know a guy like jesse v johnson he knows what fans of the genre want so as i was watching the package it's almost apparent that he is making a conscious effort to deliver a solid action sequence every 10 minutes. I mean, I don't know exactly what the exact shooting time on this one was or the budget for this one. I imagine it probably wasn't enough in terms of budget or shooting days, but I think Jesse V. Johnson came on board with this particular project and was like, look, we need to hit every five, 10 minutes. We need to hit an action sequence here. And I think that's one of the, uh, one of the, one of the many saving graces with this film. Yeah, and the way he handles the action, yeah, he is one of the. But I think in terms of of those uh, those three guys that you mentioned, the I I find Johnson's work to be the best, the most consistent of all of them. Uh, I I do like a lot of what Isaac Florentine's done, but he's not. You know, I like his I like the action that he has in his films more than necessarily the films as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've, so I love something like uh, U.S. Seals Two. But there's stuff about it that drives me nuts as well. But um, <laughs> uh, the all the whooshy sound effects mainly. But the uh, yeah, it comes uh, from the you know what's interesting. Sorry to cut you off, but you know right. Isaac Florentine, he's he's gone on the record. Um, the the Power Rangers was like his laboratory. That's where yeah. he got his start. And so it's interesting because I mean my my little boy used to love the Power Rangers, and so I would watch it with him. And it is absolute ridiculousness. But when you watch an Isaac Florentine film. He's still applying that Power Rangers aesthetic to the action sequences. You know, mm-hmm. the only thing that's missing are these characters in costumes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the and and regarding uh, Hyams, you know, he 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 made you know two of the best. Uh, you know, uh, not just DCV sequels, but action movies in general of uh, the uh, the Universal Soldier, uh, the third and the fourth film. You know, they're amazing, but. I'm not that struck with some of his other stuff. I mean, like Dragon Eyes didn't didn't no. work for me, and uh, you know he's not done a, a a lot. I mean, he's working. He's doing like his Netflix 
series and, and some horror stuff and he's so he's not done a huge amount of action but jesse johnson has since uh like since the early 2000s or he got started or he started in 1999 with his, with his first film but the um you know he's just been working consistently uh, as a director as but as well as also doing all these other roles uh, you know a second you know whether it's um just doing stunts or something on other films you know he, he does different things between his directorial projects um which he also uh does writing on as well so he's uh, he's he's done so many projects but really he's come into his own a bit like you know a bit like um with um uh you know like uh, uh some of the people like scott adkins who you know he's formed this great partnership with in recent years of, of many of their films uh, that uh like the um avengement for example uh yeah. and debt collector the it's these movies that have really sort of like if we look at something like the package and the onward you know even or, or you know a couple before that he did the butcher which was i think was a, a couple of years earlier but like from the from this that kind of period after after that first 10 years he gets a he, he there's a, a noticeable increase in the quality you know the you know much more confidence as a director much more you know a lot of risks that he's taking uh you know to try different things you know avengement was a big risk you know do something completely he, he was a, he's a british guy but you know an english director but he hadn't really worked in the uk before uh he did uh, accident man and that was uh that was 2018 then they sort of tried to do something completely different with avengement also set uh in uh, in london and but then he's also going over and still doing all the films that he's doing in in hollywood uh, you know working in los angeles and wherever uh some some of you know he's if we go back a bit further he brought don the dragon wilson back to back to people's attention when he when he did the last sentinel you know the, that was that was uh that was great when that happened you know don wilson hadn't really done a huge amount uh, and you know since the since the 90s but here comes this rather high profile low you know b movie as it is you know you know you've got keith david and and uh katie sackoff and, and stuff involved in it and just getting him to play a different kind of character you know just getting don wilson to to do this you know very different kind of role and it really paid off and then he's worked with other people like rick yoon and they made the fifth commandment you know which didn't didn't quite come off but you know there was uh there were there was something interesting there in, t- in trying to launch you know he's working with rick yoon to try and launch his action career which didn't pan out but then he and then he's done stuff like green street 2 which was terrible <laughs> which even he says was terrible you know it was made in los angeles but it was pretending to be the united kingdom and it, j- it just didn't work at all but the, you know then the, then we got things like the butcher with Eric Roberts and the package and savage dog. And, uh, and they're all such, they're all such interesting films in their own right. And they've got their own, um, they've got their own identities, uh, which, which I really like, uh, you know, the, you, you can't necessarily watch. He's not, he's not that kind of, kind of guy who's got like this author thing about him. Although, as I think we'll get into when we discuss the package more, there are features that once you've got familiar with his work, you start to recognize. Well, and I mean, I, I said that I'd mentioned the writer. Okay. But the writer of this one, I would argue 
may have uh, may, may almost be bigger than Jesse Johnson um, nowadays, which is interesting because he really doesn't have much under his belt. But this was written by Derek Kolstad. Okay, um, this was Derek Kolstad's first script. And if anyone does not know who Derek Kolstad is, uh, Derek Kolstad is responsible for John Wick. Okay, he of course went on to give all of us the uh, the John Wick franchise. Okay, and. What's really interesting, I don't know if you picked up on this or not either, but look, I love the John Wick movies. I think the John Wick movies are awesome, okay? And he also wrote uh, the, the film that's currently in theaters, uh, Nobody, okay, which is kind of like a more, um, a more comical take on John Wick. But I'm starting to wonder about Derek Kolstad, if he, if he only has like maybe two or three ideas in, in his tank that he is, uh, that he is pulling from because, okay, if you look at a film like nobody, it's basically the exact same premise as John wick. Have you seen nobody yet? No, it's not out here yet. Uh, uh, I'm I'm very eager to see it. Yeah. So it's a really cool movie, but it's basically the same thing as John wick where you have a, a badass who's been in hiding and the beast is unleashed basically. And so he goes out and, you know, does what he does best. But here's where things really started to get a little uh, uh, wink, wink for me. Okay. So Steve Austin, that's the protagonist in the film. His name is Tommy Wick. Like, like I just find it amazing that uh, Derek Kolstad, his next, uh, the next project that he wrote, John Wick, he didn't even change his protagonist's last name. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is interesting. And also if you watch it, the more you look, think about it when you're watching the film is, it does to although the character of Tommy Wick is is very different he's a completely different character to John Wick the the features in the movie itself in you know the world that he's in cap although it's not as fantastical as what you know happened with you know what was developed with John Wick and the Continental and all that kind of stuff it's kind of like the template is there exactly. it's like it's like a dry run it's a prototype you know, it's he, a prototype working yeah. with like maybe a quarter of the budget. Yeah, because you've got all these kind of it's it's a there's quite a vast ensemble of characters, including you know like they're getting these assassin, assassins and you know we've got to send them all after him. There's the there's the uh, the boss character who uh, what's uh, what's Tommy's boss name? Doug. Big Doug. Big, big Doug. Doug. Yes. So Big <laughs> Doug. You know they're having these sort of conversations that are not unlike some of those that I had with uh, Ian McShane's character in John Wick, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of familiar elements. One of which is actually the casting because, um, you know, the thing about the John Wick movies is they've got these people like Daniel Bernhardt in, you know, in, I think was Daniel Bernhardt in the John Wick or, or, you know, there was, there was some, there's some, you know, like Mark Tacascos, for example. Well, he he shows up. In. Daniel Bernhardt actually shows up in uh, Nobody, actually. Yeah. yeah. But was was he in John Wick as well, or have I got that wrong? Um, you know, I don't I think remember. he was actually. No, but that, that's the thing about uh, about these these particular films is how I mean, you look at the John Wick franchise. I mean, that you can tell that not only is that a love letter to, you know, eighties and nineties action, but they're just ramping it up for the next generation. But yeah, I mean, 
the thing that you have to appreciate about these films, and you could say Derek Kolstad as well, is how he has such an appreciation to where, yeah, he casts Mark Dacascos. Like, where had Mark Dacascos been? We hadn't seen him other than being, you know, I think he did that uh, that Iron Chef show, and then he did, you know, a, a course of slew of direct video stuff. But to cast him as the main heavy in a big budget, you know, summer release, you know, in the form of uh, of John Wick. That was pretty amazing. You look at the first John Wick, he has uh, Kevin Nash shows up in a brief role. Um, uh, Franco Nero, I think, shows up in uh, in John Wick 2. I mean, and so, and even looking at this film, for example, The Package, and like you said, yes, this film, I, I like what you said, how this is pretty much like the, the prototype or the template for, for what was to come. But uh, we haven't talked about it, but, um, and I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, Darren Shalavi? Shows up mm-hmm. yep. as as one of the t- uh, one of the pro- uh, excuse me not the protagonist antagonist of them he's one of the uh, the villains and it's really a shame because you can see I mean Darren Shalavi man died of a heart attack at a very young age but when he was on screen man he gave us some solid performances in all of these DTV films which allowed him not only to show off his skills but work alongside some of the biggest names in the business. I mean so on his resume he w- got to work alongside uh, Dolph obviously, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Gary Daniels and many many more. Including uh, uh he was the villain in uh, Board Race Hell which you mentioned right uh, the Steven Seagal film. But yeah, he was he, I mean he's uh this was a uh, I I I, was, I knew I mean, he he did things like um uh was it I think it was blood moon that he was in yep. <laughs> he's done he's done tons of stuff anyway but i, I hadn't actually seen the package uh, until uh, recently so i've watched it i've watched it a couple of times just recently in, in preparation for us doing this but i hadn't actually seen it prior to that so i, I thought darren shalavi was fantastic as soon as he comes on he, he gets almost like a hero shot you know when, yeah. when he when he's first introduced <laughs> he's he's using his natural accent and it, it sounds great He's he's very commanding, uh, and yeah, it's it, it is it, it just you you know you're watching it and you're just thinking what he what could have been you know he had so much ahead of him uh, it, that it that it is quite uh, is hard it's really to 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 watch a film like this and think that well we weren't going to get you know there wasn't much more that we were able to to get from him but I'm glad that he was able to have you know these little successes of you know like this and uh i think it was it man 2 that, that that he had quite a high profile role in as well but uh, yeah because he, he had definitely had a fantastic presence and he brought he brought a lot to the movie but also jerry trimble uh, looking at the other end neck of you know the other side of things an established uh 90s action guy uh being brought back for a supporting role, a bit like, say, the people like um, Daniel Burnhart. I've just checked uh, John Wick. Don- Daniel Burnhart was played a character called uh, Kirill. I think, oh, did he? In, oh, okay. In John, in John Wick. So the, um, yeah. So Jerry Trimble, you know, got a guy who's kind of been forgotten, but then you know Jerry uh, Jesse Johnson does like he did with uh, Don Wilson. You know, brings him back, puts him in this different role, and this is a good role for Jerry Trimble. He's not just because he turned up in stuff like Charlie's Angels, but he didn't really have any dialogue or, or whatever. He was just kind of in the background. Even Today You Die, which I think you mentioned that you'd seen recently, you know, he's got a, he's got a very tiny role in that as a stunt, you know, almost an extra character. It doesn't really get anything to do. In this one, he's fleshed out. Jo- um, he's playing uh, one of the 
uh, like heavies for Lewis. Is it? Is it? Is it called? Is is the um is the other villain of the of the show Lewis, who who's the who's sending all the other assassins after after Tommy to get the package? Oh boy, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look at that again because all of these actors. What's interesting is because I was gonna comment on that. I mean, mm-hmm. this is. This is once again another Canadian production, mm-hmm. which is very, very apparent. It's interesting because most of the films with uh, Steve Austin, it seems like all of his films, because he had a pretty impressive uh, direct-to-video run there for a period, but all of those films seem to be really wholehearted Canadian productions, and they all seem to use many of the same players in all those films. And so I don't know if you saw uh, the film Damage, or not. I think Damage is actually one of Steve Austin's best movies. But uh, the actor who plays Big Doug had a small role in uh, Damage. And, oh, okay. then, and then one of the uh, commandos who is, uh, who's after Austin and the package uh, plays the police commander. He plays the stereotypical angry police commander that we've seen in all these movies. But mm-hmm. um, Steve Austin and Michael Jai White did the film uh, uh, Tactical Force. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but uh, he shows up in that one. So it's just kind of interesting, you know, all these movies that kind of occupy the same world, if you will, and they just keep casting the same actors that keep popping up. So, yeah. And also in terms of, you know, talking about the the Expendables link, you know, the, the fact that this is kind of a movie that's come around as an Expendables sort of almost offshoot because it's a, it reunites these characters. Steve Austin had already done that once, at least once before with um, Hunt to Kill in 2010, which which had both Eric Roberts and Gary Daniels, I think, right. from, from The Expendables in. And that was really good as well. Uh, yeah. I was really That was a Keone Waxman movie. He does a lot of, um, of Seagal stuff, but I thought that was made to a really good standard as kind of a set in the... Um, set in the forest kind of, kind of thing. And that's really good. I, I think... Uh, uh, Steve Austin gets to do like a he, he run someone over with a quad bike or something. There's a, yeah. there's, there's a couple of really cool moments and, and, and stuff in there, but no damage and uh, that I haven't seen. One I have seen, which was more recent, was also with uh, Michael Jai White, Deadly Target, which was I would say one of the worst of yes. the bland-looking, poorly executed kind of. Uh, DTV action movies. It was just not, I mean, there were some good people involved in it, but it's just, it was lifeless, completely lifeless. I imagine, I imagine tons of uh, CGI muzzle flashes, <laughs> you know, as well. That seems to be a, uh, <laughs> a repeated thing. Well, I mean, we haven't, uh, we haven't really talked about the plot for this one, but I mean, the plot for this one is really simple and straightforward to an extent. I mean, Steve Austin, uh, he plays, like we said, Tommy Wick, who is an enforcer and courier for a local mob boss named Big Doug. Okay. He's pretty much the, uh, the yes man to Big Doug, if you will. And he beats up people who owe Doug money. I mean, we've seen this type of character played, uh, before. Actually, I will say, can I just throw it out there real quick? And I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it again. And I know people disagree with me, but I think one of Sylvester Stallone's best movies within his top five is Get Carter. And coincidentally, in Get Carter, he played that same type of character, a, an enforcer working for a mob boss who is just trying to get out of the game, doesn't like what he's doing, but is anyway, that, that, that's my, uh, that's my PSA for, uh, for Get Carter. Yeah. So, and 
to sort of bring it back to, to, to mention Jesse Johnson and how this kind of fits in with uh, his filmography. The, so we were saying about the John Wick thing and Derek Holstatt and it being a sort of a dry run for what, what, you know, John Wick or prototype. You can say the same, I think for the debt collector movies that Jesse Johnson has, has done, you know, in the years, uh, you know, more recently, uh, you know, in the last couple of two or three years or five years of um, Debt Collector with Scott Adkins and Lewis Mandalore and uh, Debt Collectors also released uh, as payback uh, over, over over here in the UK. Um, because um, Tommy Wick is basically playing that Debt Collector character. It's just, uh, in, you know, and, yeah. and getting him and even, you know, getting involved over, you know, over his head with the, with the mob boss and everything, but be also being a sympathetic character and not just a, a pure villain. I think, but there's, there's a different dimension obviously to those, but there is a familiarity. There's a, there seems to be some kind of a through line there. Um, I like the way that the uh, stepping back to the beginning of the movie. So we start off with uh, quite a lengthy opening credit sequence, which takes you in and literally in and around uh, the, the the workings of a bowling alley. I love and, this and, and the and the way the pins are you know setting up and the balls are going around or whatever, which then plays yeah. into the to the to the scene that follows where uh, Stone Cold uh, or Tommy uh, puts a guy in front of the in front of the the, the ball. Uh, deposit i don't know what they call that device you know the thing that pushes the balls brings the ball out of the alley and you know it's going to hit him and it's going to hit him in the face with a ball uh, or that's the threat anyway and uh so i like the way they they set all that up you get your shoes back you know me you don't know these guys please tommy you get back tommy's gonna get you i'm a regular here yes. hey i'll, uh, I'll take an 11 tommy i'm sorry i was gonna pay tommy tommy i'm in the pit i'm sorry I'm so sorry. I was gonna pay. I swear I was gonna pay. No, this ain't right. <laughs> it ain't fair. Oh, it ain't right. It ain't fair. I gave you a 10 day extension. That's more than fair. But me having to track your little ass down, that ain't right. You can't just come in here. And... Yeah, I can, Lewis, because this is what I do. This is my job. Let me break it down for you, dumbass. If you borrow from Big Doug and pay him back, I got no play in that. But when you borrow from Big Doug, don't, please, and don't pay him back. <laughs> he shoots, he loses. <laughs> please, Tommy! Big Doug says, man, who Tommy, Tommy, please, don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I was generous with you, Lewis, and we only earn base plus a cut of the vig. Meaning, the less the big, the less money for me and Julio here. And that ain't right. I'm sorry, Tommy. Be careful, Tommy. Ain't fair. Okay. I'm sorry, Tommy. You got my money? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Lewis. And nothing's ever been accomplished with a maybe. <laughs> Come on, Tommy! This is crazy! Okay, I get it. I get the point, Tommy. You got two choices. You either pay Big Doug the money you owe him in the next 24 hours, or you run and you hide. Because next time we ain't gonna be so easy on your ass. 
but you know they they established Tommy Wick as this you know no nonsense hard enforcer character but then because he's the pro- the protagonist and we've got to have some sympathy for him we get the scene with his brother in prison right uh, and the and the scene with Big Doug you know where they're laying out the reasons you know why he's doing it uh, which is because his brother got it you know he's trying to basically clear his brother's debt uh, that he had, you know, and, and essentially save his life because his life is in danger if he if he doesn't if this doesn't get sorted out, uh, and also the relationship with his wife. So we get all that established in the first uh, the first act before you know uh, before the uh, full action sequences with you know us being on Tommy's side, you know, come into play. Well, his brother is played by Lachlan Monroe who um, he, he's a fellow Canadian actor who always seems to show up in a lot of these films. Um, he, he's never, he's an actor who uh, never really takes center stage, never really takes the, uh, the main role, but he seems dependable for a lot of these uh, short, uh, you know, these short roles, if you will. I would be shocked if uh, he spent more than a day on his two scenes in this film. Cause we only hmm. see him twice in the film. No, it's, uh, he's very much a, a character actor. Yeah. Uh, we see him all over the place. I mean, uh, you mentioned Isaac Florentine. He did high voltage with Isaac Florentine and he's done, uh, he was in, I think it was true justice season two for, with Steven Seagal. Uh, and I think he's done, he might've done some other stuff with Steven Seagal. I watched a, a there was a slasher film recently that I watched called, uh, I think it was initiation or, or something like that, where he had a supporting role. He's played a diverse amount of characters, but he never yeah. seems to get any older. <laughs> he's, no, this he really, he's this re- eternally youthful guy who I always thought looked a bit like Gary Busey. <laughs> well, and I mean that, I mean, going along with that. Yeah. It's interesting because I think he's better serviced here than he was in the previous episode. The previous episode we actually discussed in the name of the King too, starring Dolph. And uh, he was cast as the evil King and man, oh man, is he miscast there. So, but yeah, but, you know, looking at Steve Austin, I mean, this is, I mean, we haven't really talked about Dolph's role in this movie because Dolph's role in this movie is secondary to Steve Austin. Okay. Steve Austin, yep. he's a center stage of this entire film. And perhaps I think this is maybe one of the reasons why we've seen, why we've seen Steve Austin step away from, uh, from the camera is because similar to Seagal, Steve Austin always seems to play the same character. Now, granted, the movies are all different, but I feel like every time Steve Austin is on screen, he's going to be playing the same character. He's going to be playing the quiet, stone-faced badass, which is which is really a shame because I don't know if you followed or watched wrestling back in the 90s, back when he was uh, his stone-cold persona. But what's interesting about these films is we never really get to see him use that stone cold persona. I mean, if you, if you watched wrestling back in the nineties, okay, stone cold, Steve Austin, he was that wrestler who would slam a can of beer and would shout to the heavens. And I mean, he was just the ultimate anti-hero. And then you watch him in all these films like the package. And he is so much more reserved than he ever was when he was with the WWE. Yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with his, I mean, you know, I knew I knew he was Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I I wasn't uh, watching wrestling at that time. So uh, aside from knowing that he was a wrestler, in the same way that I knew The Rock was a you know was a wrestler, uh, I didn't really know much about 
their screen personas are you know their their stage perform personas for those characters and stuff so that's never that's never something that i've had that issue with but yes i mean he does i do agree that he he is the big tough guy <laughs> in all of you, whether it's the condemned or hunt to kill or, or, you know, or taking a villainous turn in expendables. There's, there's not a lot of variation, but he, he is kind of the guy who's, who's built to be, you know, the, the role, the role, the particular role that he's got in the package, it, you know, it's a perfect role for him in this, you know, in this environment, this, this, this presentation of the tough, but sympathetic, you know, a uh, hero. You know, hero sort of borderline and anti-hero, but not really because uh, there's there's not really anything particularly bad about him. You know, if they didn't have that stuff with with the loving relationship with his wife and you know caring for his brother and stuff, then you could you could make a very different movie. I mean, they they tr- they tried to do something like that. You know, with with the condemned, uh, where you know he was a prisoner and stuff. But uh, again, didn't quite didn't quite plan pan out in the in the in the way that I think they were hoping. For for me, I think I haven't seen a lot of Steve Austin's movies, but I do think this is probably the one I've enjoyed the most, up next oh, to Hunt Kill. For me, it's this one and Damage. Um, you know, I, I, I think you need to check out Damage. That one, I know you guys don't have it over in the UK, but it is available on Tubi. Um I'm sure you could probably find the DVD pretty cheap and but that one, it's a very simple meat and potatoes underground fighting movie, but it is it is quite good. It is it is you know I, I like I said it, it stars uh, Walton Goggins. I don't know if you ever watched The Shield or if you're familiar with Walton Goggins, who was also yep. in Hateful Eight. He he's in it as well, and uh, he plays kind of the shady fighting promoter. But it is it is really well done. But if we look at if we look at this film, the uh, the narrative impetus and the MacGuffin of the film, if you will, is pretty much the package, okay, like the title says. So Tommy's latest assignment is to deliver a package to a fellow crime lord known as the German, okay? So though this is Dolph's character. Dolph plays this unnamed character. He's just known as the German. And what's interesting here is the package is really, really small. I mean, it's maybe the size of like a small diary or a pocketbook and the contents of this package. We, we find out pretty quickly that, you know, what's inside the package is wanted by numerous parties, including one group of mercenaries. Um, this is the, the team that's led by Darren, Darren Shalavi. Um, they actually kill Tommy's partner. And so what happens is this sets in motion, the film's uh, many action sequences and chase scenes. Yeah. Of which uh, it all sort of kicks off with a practical car flip, which is always nice to see. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and then we get one have a shootout and, uh, and, and fight scene at the, uh, the gas station. Is it the gas station that they're yep. at? Yeah. yeah. I just want to, I, I should backtrack there because the action properly, uh, the first proper action sequence, apart from the, uh, the opening scene, uh, you know, the first time we get a lot of gunfire and everything involves uh, Dolph Lundgren as the German establishing why he is a force to be reckoned with. Well, and that, that was going to be one of my points that I was going to, that I was going to mention later on in the film. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything too much, but we find out that, uh, yeah, Dolph's character, the German, he's dying basically. I mean, he is a dying man. Uh, and so the package obviously is linked to this to kind of give him a lifeline. But what's interesting, I mean, this is kind of a cool little character touch because while he is dying, 
my God, he is a force of nature because the few scenes that Dolph has in this film, every one of those scenes, he is just not even kicking ass, but he is destroying a room of all of these spirits. And so it's like, man, for a dying dude, he's uh, he's still pretty fit. And what's also interesting too is, okay, he's supposedly dying. So what they do to kind of give that, you know, to give that uh, characteristic to his character, if you will, is they... Um, they, they put some makeup on his face to kind of make him look, you know, a little sickly, if you will. And then he coughs throughout the film. So every time I almost had to laugh at this as well, because what he would do is he'll cough a little bit at the beginning of the scene. And then he'll, you know, like in that first scene, he kicks like five guys asses. And then at the very end of the scene, before he leaves the room, he just quickly coughs once again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the uh, I didn't pick up on the makeup. I've got to be honest. I, d- I did. I did notice the coughing, but yeah, yeah. So we, he's be he's uh, he he walks into this restaurant to meet this uh, uh, rival rival gangster, and they have again. It's, it's a very John Wickish kind of encounter that they have, and and the uh, the action that unfolds is you know is very John Wick uh, to, to my mind. I mean, it starts, there's a, there's a whole thing that he's using a hu- a guy as a human shield. And then he gets the, the semi-automatic and he's shooting everyone who's in the kitchen, but he's on the other side. So he's yeah. in one, I mean, great for, you know, filming it because obviously they didn't have to be in the same room, but the, uh, so he's, he manages to shoot a whole bunch of people through the wall. And the, the, the main guy that he's, you know, having this confrontation with the guy who's who sent sent the who sends these guys after him, he actually does kind of a universal soldier thing of of just g- grabbing him through the wall again. <laughs> it's a it's a great moment, uh, and he also has a bit of one on one fighting. It's not him; it's his 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 fighting uh, body, uh, body double who does a lot of it. He does a lot of it at the end uh, in in the. Um, uh, and some of the end sequences as well. And unfortunately it's really obvious. Oh <laughs> yeah. The, guy, the final the fight. I was going to say that later, actually the final fight in the film between Dolph and Steve Austin, the doubling there is abundantly clear as opposed to the earlier shots in the film. Yeah. But you know, yeah, Dolph's performance as the German. I mean, this is, this is a really kind of cool and interesting role that, uh, the Dolph chose here. I mean, and I'm going to echo it again. I said it at the beginning of our conversation, but Despite this being a direct-to-video production, Dolph is playing a unique role on his CV, on his filmography. And again, I think that is what was driving his decisions, even even to an extent to this day. I think Dolph is of the mentality of, look, even if I'm not the character, even if I'm not the main character, if you will, I still want to be playing a you know, a new character, a different, unique character. And that's really clear because what's interesting is after the Expendables, I remember when this. I remember when this was big news because he had he had been rediscovered, and he had starting to he he was starting to get exposed again to the public. And so after the Expendables, he signed on for three uh, three films that he was going to film all back to back. Okay, and so these films were The Package, One in the Chamber, and Stash House. Now I don't know if you've seen One in the Chamber or Stash House, but if you look at these fil- films, they are all very different characters while these films are similar in a sense due to their style and overall aesthetic Mm -hmm. Dolph is playing a very different character in each of these films 
Yeah, which I have to give him credit for. Yeah, I haven't seen Stash House, but I did see one in the chamber, which was mostly forgettable. But (laughs) I do remember that Dolph was playing quite a larger-than-life character in that one. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, like I said, I think that's what attracts him to a film. Not so much the budget, not so much the days of shooting, but it is the character. He likes adding a new character to his resume. So I think he's of the mindset, okay, sure, this is a direct-to-video film that is, of course, going to get lumped together with all of the other direct-to-video films I've done, but I'm going to make a conscious effort to try something else here. And what's also, I, I wanted to ask you about this, but what's interesting is I wonder, I have a sneaking suspicion about this film, especially about Dolph's character, but I wonder if that when the when the script was written or whatever, um, Derek Kolstad had someone else in mind for the role of the German, perhaps someone even older for that matter. However, once Dolph was brought on board, they reworked certain things and made this terminally ill man suddenly very, very efficient in terms of killing and destruction. I mean, that, that's kind of my theory, but I don't know if you uh, go along with that or not. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that does make sense. Uh, the The original concept could have been could have been quite different and they've they've adapted it yeah that would that makes sense to me well i mean but in this one yeah he's a deadly crime lord who's on his last legs he has limited time left to live but good lord like we keep saying he is vicious and i mean look playing a villain i mean this is this is not something this this isn't a new territory for mr lundgren we can say but this is a different type of villain. So one of his few scenes in the film, this is a really kind of a, <laughs> an interesting scene. So he's this well-dressed crime lord, right? Who's all, who's all sorts of merciless, I guess, in his, in his motives and his actions. But in one scene, which I think needs to be discussed, okay, he has a guy tied up, okay? He's getting ready to kill this dude who's tied up. But he proceeds to go into a monologue about the necessary and healthy fruits needed to make the perfect smoothie. And mm-hmm. then after he shoots the poor dude, he just goes back to the blender and proceeds to blend his drink. And this entire scene, he's wearing a dress shirt, slacks, and an apron. And I can't help but wonder, I don't know if the scene was written this way or because I've, I've heard in various interviews that I've talked to other people, I've heard that when Dolph comes on board a project, He's like, I want to add this to my character. I think we should do this. But man, that is that is a really cool little, little uh, unique touch for him to add to his resume of villains, I guess we can say. Tell me, Sanchi. Oh, what? You gonna save me? You're gonna kill me anyway. No. Well, there ain't no saving you, son. That's in the hands of the Almighty alone. But if you don't tell me, Sancho, well, I'm just gonna have to. I'm gonna have to drive myself over to uh, 1825 Dalcassian Street. Torch, five pounds of lions and bolt cutters, and just just do whatever I want to to the inhabitants therein. And believe me, I'm both 
patient and creative. Anthony! It was Anthony! Yeah, I think that, and that was actually the the smoothie monologue was the kit, the thing that I was gonna that I was trying to I was gonna mention a minute ago, and then I forgot about it because I wasn't I was wondering how you felt about that. I mean, it is a, I think I think you're right. It's it's one of those things that you know when you watch a, a Stephen one of Steven Seagal's movie and, and he just starts going off on one <laughs> talking about something co- completely uh, random, and uh, you do wonder is this something that Dolph said? You know, I, I want to. I want to. T- I want to talk about. You know. I want to do do something really interesting in this scene. I want to. I want to talk about making a smoothie, and then later, <laughs> and later, I want to do an- another one where I talk about making a martini. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just. Um, so he's he's very. Re- I, I guess the highlighting. You know how refined and intelligent he is as a character. You know, he's he's there's it's a again bringing that John Wick thing, it's that, cl- it's the class, you know, the, the people having, you know, standards and, you know, you know, being, you know, living in these, not, not just living in the nice houses and, and, and stuff, but actually understand, you know, having uh taste and, you know, you know, be, you know, being actually intelligent and stuff rather than just, you know, uh, you know, uh, ev- you know, just they're just trying to embezzle money, so they buy a you know fancy painting to put on the wall or whatever. But they don't really appreciate the art. Whereas the German seems like a guy who would really understand and appreciate the art that he was collecting. Uh, you know, if he was, yeah. if, if he is collecting art and stuff. So the yeah, I think that he's drawing a he's creating a very interesting character. Now he's called the German. He never does a German accent. <laughs> um, he just kind of just does his normal. Dolph, normal Dolph voice, you know, not normal. Yeah. You know, he's Swedish, but he, you know, he basically sounds American now, kind of, uh, kind of accent. Um, he's doing, he's doing his Dolph voice, but he's just coughing every, every tenth word. I yeah. guess we can say. I don't know why they didn't just call him the the Swede, but maybe the it didn't Swede. sound as good, good as the yeah. German. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, why didn't they do that? Well, <laughs> I think actually okay. there was another movie with someone called the Swede. I can't remember. But... Yeah, there was Men of War. Men of War. He was known as the Swede. Yeah. That was he? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So plot twist here. I don't know if this if this threw you for a, a surprise or not. Um, it really didn't me. But um, spoiler. Okay. Uh, we find out that the package in question was actually Steve Austin's character, Tommy himself. Okay. So the entire goal of this entire, uh, the entire film for that matter, wasn't even so much that little pocketbook that he was carrying. Okay. It was getting Tommy himself to the German because apparently, like we said, the German is dying. He's dying from an extremely rare blood condition. And as luck would have it only in a movie, um, Tommy happens to be a, uh, a match for uh for the german so the german made a deal with big doug to have tommy delivered i thought it was interesting apparently these big massive tough guys apparently all share the same blood type that was kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah also i like the way because when the film starts and he goes for the physical and whatever you don't it doesn't register you don't really think about it but then you realize that everything you're actually being when you on the second viewing you realize that everything that happens happens for a reason it's it's actually mm-hmm. a very 
smartly put together film. It's not, it, there's, it's not just, um, stuff. I mean, you could say the monologue, uh, you know, about the smoothie and whatever is kind of, you know, indulgent or padding or whatever you might say, but you know, the, that qu- just that quick scene at the start where he says, Oh, I've got to go and get a check or whatever you, you, you dismiss it. It just, it just seems like incidental when you do, you think it's, um, Oh, we're just being shown that, you know, here's an opportunity for Steve Austin to show what shape he's in, to have a look in the mirror and say, you're still here, you know, sort of, he's a bit reflective, you know, about, you know, his struggles and, and, uh, you know, the toll that it's all taking on him. But no, actually, that's an integral moment because that's the moment that they establish that he is the one who's the, he's the one who's the match. (laughs) <laughs> and that's uh that's when uh, when uh big doug uh, makes that you know makes the sale well and dolph does get a really cool line of dialogue i wrote this down and i would like I, i'd be remiss if i didn't uh, point it out but he he gets a really cool line of dialogue so when steve austin's character is tied up he asks dolph's character the german you really want me to call you that and dolph replies i love this line because th- this this felt to me like a like a real writer writer you know what i mean you wouldn't you you wouldn't see this type of writing in a lot of these direct-to-video movies but when steve austin asks him do you really want me to call you the german dolph replies i do what can i say i like it besides one never picks his own nickname which makes for tall men named shorty and a fat man named slim oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so there's a there's a there are there's a lot of really good lines actually in the script going all the way back to I mean, even the the first scene in the bowling alley, and the and the the, the guy's trying to run away, and and the guy who runs the bowling alley says he can't go away because he says because those are my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going anywhere <laughs> with, with my bowling shoes on and stuff. And um, what's the other? There was another one where, uh, um, yeah, there's stuff with Jerry Trimble. He's got he's got some he's got a couple of nice lines. Like, there you are, you big, you know, whatever. And uh, um. Steve Austin gets a line. He's, he, he he kills someone in in a very similar fashion to uh, Bruce Willis in The Last Boy Scout, except instead of, he he just uses his he uses his head to 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 do uh, to kill a guy, and he says, "I'm going to kill you next, sunshine." <laughs> to yeah. uh, to uh, Darren Shalabi's character, which was which was good. Um, I just want to backtrack on talk about some of the action uh, sequences if I may sort of going back to that um, that first sort of big shootout you know there's some really nice moments so like uh, there's there's the, there's the heavy handed guy in the van oh talking about lines uh, there's um, one of the heavies goes in and he's having it out with with Tommy and he said and he says uh, put the keep the oven on I'm, I'm bringing home dinner or something you know it's just because because he's implying that he's going to slay uh slay tommy and you know the you know as, as if he's like a, he's out hunting or something which i thought was really nice but he gets basically he gets killed that character and uh, uh one of the other guys outside gets out this massive gun <laughs> and just starts blowing <laughs> destroying the destroying the place and uh, darren shalavi's character runs out going hey, hey what are you doing you always killed me <laughs> it's uh, uh that's uh that was really good and the um the fiance of uh, said uh, guy who got killed in in the building, she gets to have, her, or she tries to have her revenge at the end, or towards the end of the movie when Tommy is captured, 
and uh, tied up, and that's where he gets to deliver uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, defiant one-liners where he's like, "Yeah, you, I don't, I don't care if you're going to torture me. I'm just going to make jokes." You know, very much like uh, the Last Boy Scout. But uh, she, she was great. Um, the actress who played that character, she had like, uh, you know, only a, only a few minutes, but she in 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 she goes from being a sort of a background character to being like, okay, this is your time now. You get to have one on one with uh, with Steve Austin. You're going to torture him, and uh, I was I was really impressed because she she does uh, she kills she kills a guy to show how tough she is, and then she's talking about um, how she used you know she's uh, an interrogator and stuff, and she does it because she just likes it, uh, and how she's getting she's getting all her stuff ready, and he's taunting her, uh, and how you know how that all plays out. I thought that was a great scene. Well, you know, going back to uh, to Steve Austin, I remember actually listening to a podcast interview with uh, with Jesse V. Johnson, and I remember he alluded to the fact that okay, when you're when you're hired on to direct a movie like this, he didn't so much say that he was a gun for hire, but you know, when you're when he's brought in to do a film that has these big, larger than life personalities like Dolph Lundgren and like Steve mm-hmm. Austin, he is suddenly having to work around maybe not so much their egos, but what they can do and what they're willing to do when they're on camera. And I remember he said something really interesting, how in Steve Austin's contract, when Steve Austin comes on board a movie, he makes it very clear that uh, he has to have at least two to three fist fights in the film. And so, mm-hmm. granted, like a film like The Package, I imagine that was already that was already in there. But can you imagine getting hired to do a film where maybe that was not in there, or maybe where the lead character is a martial artist, for that matter, and then someone like Steve Austin is hired, who is not a martial artist, but who is more kind of like a brawler? Well, then mm-hmm. you're having to change the fighting styles of your lead characters and kind of having to work around that. That's I don't know. I just found that pretty interesting. Yeah, there was another interview I heard where they were saying how um, Steve Austin hadn't really felt like he'd been able to give a performance, you know, like give a proper performance in any of his movies prior because he hadn't really had, you know, strong direction. And that that kind of changed with Jesse, that Jesse actually worked with him and said, you know, I'm going to take you, I'm going to, you know, I want to help you to develop this character and you know make you know be an actor you know not just be a guy who's been put in this action role um, you know to to actually develop this character so they made a conscious effort on this film to set it apart from from what he'd done previously uh rather than you know just being a sort of big tough guy on the screen and i think i think that i think you can see evidence of that i think there are there are those different interplay scenes that that um that Austin has with Lachlan Monroe, the, the the character playing his wife, the actress playing his wife, and uh, yeah. you know, and all of them. You know, so he has so many interactions in the film, uh, and not all of them are, you know, just being just taught. He's not. It's not just him taunting an opponent. You know, he's having genuine interactions, like with uh, uh, Big Doug. You know, there's some quite interesting. Uh, dynamics in 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 their relationship and you know the where where tommy is willing to sort of draw the line 
if you will, in in some you know what he's what he's willing to do and what he what he won't do, and when should you just walk away? Kind of, kind of. So I think there's some interesting interesting stuff there. Yeah. So so I think that Austin gives a very good account of himself in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, look, we we talked about it already. While the the doubling in the final fight scene is very, very, very much apparent. Um, it's still a really cool fight scene. I mean, I, I liked it because I mean, when you when you break it down, even though there are they are, you know, the stunt doubling is obvious, and we only really get to see Dolph and Steve Austin and like those close up shots of their face. It just looks really cool. These two big guys literally throwing each other around this mansion. They're throwing each other through walls and, you know, <laughs> breaking the banister and whatnot. It is a, it is a really efficiently done action sequence that, that I think, you know, again, despite there being the, some obvious stunt doubling, I think is a highlight of the film. Well, and the other thing, interesting thing is Dolph and his double are both wearing a, a, a robe because yeah. at that point in the story, uh, Dolph has gone away to get ready to have a procedure. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so he's not in his suit anymore. He's he's actually in uh, in much more. It's like a, a silk dressing gown kind of kind of thing that he's having his uh, having his fight scene in, which um, which is quite fun. Uh, uh, prior to that, I just want to flag up the moment where uh, where Steve Austin picks up the two massive guns. Yes, <laughs> that's, the that's, a, that's a that's the, that's the, yeah that's the that's the shot. They, that, I think that's the one they use on the cover and you know the poster and so it's it's a really good bit and again a a very uh it's an bit it actually kind of echoes the earlier scene with um with Dolph Lundgren at the start when he when he uses the guy as the human shield and you know attack and he's got those guys firing at him well we get basically the same in this time except uh steve austin uses a table i think and he sort of throws this table at the the guys to to talk about so there's a bit of a uh, an echo of 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 that scene uh i also want to mention william b davis is in this as the as the surgeon that uh the german is always seems to as far as I'm, that's my interpretation of it that, that he was the the, the yes. surgeon that had been hired uh he so he's most most well known as the cigarette smoking man in the x-files he only has a couple of scenes, but uh, I really like. I liked seeing him. I, I do. I do think he's got a fantastic presence. But he is. He does the the most stupid thing, <laughs> which is, where, where Steve Austin is saying, "Oh no, just come, just just come a bit closer or something." Yeah, <laughs> and then and then he and then he, uh, just sort of leaves him open to attack. So it was like the stupidest decision in the movie. I think <laughs> was uh, you know this guy just not knowing when he's been had. <laughs> Well, coincidentally, he was actually also in Damage. If there's another was reason for what, you William to check B. Davis out. was in that as well, was he? Yeah, yeah. So another reason for you to check that one out, Richard, mm-hmm. please. Um, well, you know, I think, you know, whereas a lot of these direct-to-video action films could have ended right at that final fight scene. So, uh, you know, Steve Austin's character, Tommy, he kills the German. And they, it would have literally, I think a lot of these films would have ended of him just leaving the mansion and walking off into the sunset cut to credits. But what this one does, which again, I think is, is we can attribute to uh, Jesse V Jesse V Johnson's direction is we get to see in the final shots of the film, Tommy meets up with big duck and where you'd think, I mean, this is something else I thought was cool where you'd think that 
Tommy would then pull a piece on on Big Doug and and kill him. What's what's really kind of an interesting uh, creative touch is how the two leave on somewhat friendly terms here. Okay, and then Tommy's little brother, his his debt is cleared, and then the two, like I said, they just leave on the understanding that hey, business is business. Big Doug, I think he even tells him that, like, look, this was a business deal. I hope you can understand. And instead of killing him, yeah, they, they end on those terms and Tommy leaves town with a big duffel bag full of cash on his way to reunite with his gal. And I loved this touch. The scene, or excuse me, the film does end with him leaving in a big truck, of course, because I feel <laughs> like, I feel like a guy like uh, Steve Austin, he's going to be, he's going to be driving a pretty big rig to get himself around. Right. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're here at the end. I mean, I know that uh, you and I have both, you know, talked about this film and the things that we really liked about it. But, um, you know, I like to do two recommends. So, Richard, in your opinion, um, how does this film stack up? OK, I like to do two recommends, one as a Dolph Lundgren vehicle and one as a uh, as a movie in general. So in your opinion, what do you have to say? Where, is this is this a film that you would recommend on the DTV Digest, not just as one of these uh you know, silly little direct-to-video action films, but as a Dolph Lundgren vehicle, where does it stand for you? Uh, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting to see it with Dolph, but it's he's not in it enough for for you know you can't. It's hard to recommend it as a film as a film for Dolph. You know, you can you can you if if you're open to watching Steve Austin movie or a Jesse V. Johnson movie, you're going to get the added benefit of, of Dolph Lundgren. And I think, you know, as a film, as a film, as a whole, I think it's one, it's a, it's a really, really good, uh, very solid action movie with a fantastic cast of which, uh, Dolph Lundgren is a part. Uh, but you, you, if you, if you go in, it's, it, you know, the way they've, the way it was promoted with like, you know, Steve Austin and, uh, Dolph Lundgren kind of, Almost like you're you're expecting a uh, a team hander, yeah, like or yeah. a team up or or something. You know, you know. I think I think people would come all, would be a bit disappointed in that sense. But yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Well, you know, in my opinion, I mean, yeah, thank you for that. Actually, you know, I would say in terms of my recommend, I I I would say for a, from a Dolph Lundgren fan. Hell yes. Okay. This is not a typical Dolph Lundgren movie. I mean, because like you said, he's really not in it that much, but when he is, I would say he's actually kicking ass and involved in an action sequence in every, in every scene that he's in, he's, he's beating someone up. So I think that was an intentional decision on behalf of Jesse V. Johnson. I think he was of the mindset where he said, look, Hey, we only have Dolph for so many days. So you know what? Yeah. I'm going to put him to work and make sure that his few scenes deliver for the fans. Having said that, it's a very straightforward action film. Uh, Steve Austin plays pretty much the same type of character that we've seen him play numerous times already in these type of films. So I will say, if you like what a guy like Steve Austin can bring to a film, then this is really not going to be any different. Uh, everyone on board here clearly knows what they're working with. And I think a legitimate conscious effort was made to make a solid man's man action film. So I'd say for those reasons, this is a full wholehearted recommendation. In fact, I mean, I said it at the beginning and I'm going to echo it again. I would say out of all of Dolph's 
direct-to-video films that he did post-Expendables. This one is certainly one of his best. Many of those, you like you said earlier, Shark Lake, Forgotten. You can probably skip those. In fact, I'm really not looking forward to getting to those <laughs> in the show. Um, but I think this one it d- deserves a special recognition. And I've had a lot of fun chatting it with you today. So thank you for uh, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Well, and before before we uh, before I let you go and before we wrap this up, is there anything that you want to give a shout out to or anything you want to plug or mention? I know we talked about the DTV Digest, but uh, what else is going on? Yeah, if uh, if uh, anyone wants to uh, find me or the or the DTV Digest, so if you go on uh, Twitter, just search for the DTV Digest or myself uh, DT DTV RSH, uh, which is just my initials and the. And there's also another account that I manage, which is DTV Short Shots, which is uh, dedicated to posting uh, links to uh, excellent short films, uh, one every day. Uh, so I try to, that's what I try to do anyway, uh, because we've also, on the DTV Digest, we also highlight short films. We've actually got a spin off show called DTV Digest Short Shots, where we focus exclusively on short films. Uh, so yeah, any of that stuff, uh, uh, it would be great if you could, uh, check it out and support it if you enjoy it and, uh, you know, share any, any, any of the great, uh, films that we're trying to promote. Uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, you can also find the DTV digest on uh, Facebook. Well, I've, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I enjoy listening to your show. I've enjoyed, uh, chatting, uh, many of these little films with you. And earlier today, yeah, you and I were talking, uh, Wesley Snipes. You and I have had many, uh, abundant conversations regarding, uh, Mr. Steven Seagal and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I would love to, uh, I know you, uh, extended the invite earlier, but I would love to join you guys for, um, an upcoming episode, whenever that'll be, whatever the film is. So, uh, so yeah, you got, uh, you you have you have a guest who is who's locked and loaded and and I'll just throw this out there. I mean, hey, you mentioned it already, Richard. But uh, legendary, the film that uh, Dolph did with Scott Atkins is still yes. up for grabs. So, I mean, are you volunteering yourself? Is that one that you would like to chat with? <laughs> I'm quite. I am. I am. I am quite happy to talk legendary. I, I, that's another film that I only only saw recently, and I have some quite positive things to say about it. All right, definitely, because that's actually one that not many people have uh, been jumping, uh, have been jumping at the opportunity for. So uh, let's let's plan it. So <laughs> excellent. All right, cool. Well, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And seeing as how the package opened with the song "Lost and Paranoid." by the soul of John Black, I felt it was only fitting to include it here as well. So for your listening pleasure is a sampling of the song Lost and Paranoid. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.